You're listening to the Midtown Church Sermon Podcast. Midtown Church is a family loved and served by God, compelled to love and serve each other and Austin with God. Learn more at midtownaustin.org. Hey, good morning, Midtown family. Good to see you guys this morning. If I've not met you yet, my name's Justin. I'm the executive pastor here at Midtown. Would love to meet you, particularly if you're new. Would invite you to stick around, come say hi afterward. Uh, both myself and then some of our college ministry staff are going to be up front here. We have some actual gift bags for new people. Uh, if you want to come say hi, we'd love that, or fill out your connection card. Um, thanks for getting up early. You got lost the extra hour of sleep. I know it was, uh, it was rough, but you all made it, so thanks, and we'll, we'll laugh collectively. If someone walks in at, at, at 11.45, well, I'll just, I'll point them out. We can all just, we can, we can all laugh at them. That'd, that'd be a good time. We had a great time this last week. I know many of you guys came to our uh, concert of prayer. So three times this year, we're doing these big nights of prayer, and we had a great turnout for our concert of prayer Wednesday as we kicked off the season of Lent. And I just want to encourage you guys to join us in these 40 days of prayer. We're using this prayer guide called Seek God for the City. There's some in the back that you can get. Uh, pick, it up, pick it up there. Or we've also got all 40 days like within our Midtown app. So if you get the Midtown app... You can use that or pick up a hard copy back there. It doesn't matter if you haven't started yet. You can just pick up on whatever day that you start, and don't get discouraged if you've missed some days. Just jump right back in and, and come pray with us. It's a really neat prayer guide that guides prayer for our city during the season of Lent. I know I've seen on uh, Facebook and a couple other things that you guys are doing various things uh, besides that for Lent, and so really encourage you with that and hope that you have a uh, really renewed relationship with God in this season as we head to Easter. We're going to continue our time in uh, Philippians. We're going to look at the last part of chapter 2. And so chapter 2 is really started with this, this very significant command that Paul gave to the Philippian church. And it was the command that they should do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. But in humility, they should consider others above themselves, looking to each other's interests above their own. Pretty heavy command, right? Because we'd all admit, like our default setting is selfishness, right? But here's this command to be selfless. And so throughout the rest of chapter 2, he's continued to build on this one command. And the first part of it that, that Jake taught three weeks ago, he said the gospel is our motivation. Like what can motivate us to live selflessly? It's the actual gospel and what Jesus has done for us. And then last week, we looked at what will enable us to live selflessly. And that was that we continue to live by faith. And today, we're actually going to look at what inspires us. Like what can inspire us to live selfless lives? And it's actually going to be people. So I'll give you the, that, that's the, oh, the heads up. It's people that inspire us to live selfless lives. Before we jump into that, though, let me ask a question. And you guys can give me some participation with this if you want to. Have some fun with it. Have you ever participated in like the GOAT conversations? Like GOAT, you know, the greatest of all time. So you're, you're why? So that was my first one, LeBron James or Michael Jordan. Where, where are we at? Like Team, team James, yeah. So <laughs> what about Brady Manning? Like, that one's pretty well decided, I think. Okay, to the nerds, like Star Wars, Star Trek, like, okay, all right, good. Best Batman, who was the best Batman? Christian Bale, Michael Keaton, yeah, okay, good. What about uh, Seinfeld or The Office? Greatest of, don't be rude to my generation, Seinfeld is by far better. Bo boy bands, NSYNC, Backstreet Boys, all right, yeah, greatest of all time. And I know some of, you are, some of you aren't into this yet, so you're, you're like just more, you're more spiritual than us, and so you probably had debates like who's the better theologian, like is it Matt Chandler or John Piper, like those just great, you know, great conversations you've had. We all like to talk about the goat, right? And it could be funny just to ask like who's the greatest Christian of all time, 
which that would probably be an unwise question or thing to ponder. But one of the things I think is actually really, really good to ponder, and I'm going to ask you to kind of ponder with me during this next 30 minutes that we have, is who is someone in your life? And let me just actually ask this question. Who is a person in your life that best models the life of Jesus? Think about that for a second. Who is someone in your life that you would look to them and say that they best model the life of Jesus? Now, we know that everyone has flaws, and so you could probably point to many people in your life, and you'd actually say, I like this Jesus-like quality in this person and this one and this person. But I'd like you, just for the sake of today, just try to think of one person. Who's one person that you look at their life and say, man, they really live a Jesus-like life? And then maybe ask another question on top of that, is what is it about their life that you find so attractive, so worthy of, of wanting to follow? Like, what is it in their life? Odds are that it's pretty much the, the command that we were first given here, right? There's something about their lives that they're selfless people. Maybe it's that they ask good questions, and whenever you're around them, you know that they care about you, and you just feel loved. Or maybe they're a person that's just full of so much grace that every time you're around them, you feel like you can be yourself and all your flaws, and, and there's just complete grace and no judgment. Or maybe it's someone that you've actually witnessed their life, that you've witnessed them in the way that they've discipled and led others in the faith, and you've looked at the, the fruit of their life, and you think, man, I want my life to make an impact like that. Or maybe it's someone who just really lives like a, a, a missionary, and they're just always connecting with people from different faiths and sharing their faith and loving people that are different from them. Do you have someone that comes to mind? Well, the one that comes to mind for me is my friend uh, Dave Brown. I could have probably listed a ton of different people, but uh, this week as I was pondering this, I thought about my friend David Brown. Uh, when I came to UT in 1991, I was put in a Bible study. We were both part of a, a campus ministry called Crew. Uh, joined a Bible study. He was two years older than me, so his junior and senior year, I was in the same study with him. And it was just so obvious that this guy really, really loved Jesus and that his life continued to be submitted to him. We're part of a gang of friends that hang out together. We actually do Labor Day weekend together every year. We are like in year 27 of doing this. And this is a long-standing friendship. And I love looking at the life of Dave. And I love his family because now he's got four kids, two that are in college and two that are even younger than that in high school and junior high. And I look at his life and the way that he loves his family. They just finished their 25th year anniversary this last summer. I think we've got a picture of them up here. This is Dave and Jen. Uh, this is what they did for their 25th anniversary. They, they, might, they uh, did a 12-day, 120-mile hike <laughs> in Europe. I think it's called the Tour de Mont Blanc. Maybe someone's heard of that, but that's I like him too because he's in shape. Yeah, I've got to <laughs> see, I want to model my life after him. But more importantly is the way that he's raised his kids and to see that his kids love and serve Jesus and, and to see that when he was, kids were younger and he had a pretty successful career that he took his family and they just moved to Mexico to be missionaries for several years. And they came back from being missionaries because his parents were, were ill and he knew that he needed to be closer to his, his family to care for his extended family. And so it brought him back. I look at his life and how he's continued to model the way that he serves and is involved with his church. He's part of a big church in Denton, and he teaches a, a weekly Bible study that's like bigger than our church. That's, he's a very large church. And we'd always pray for each other and share prayer requests. In fact, this morning when we were doing mic check, I'm doing mic check here, and I have my phone in my hand, and, and he texts me, hey, I'm praying for your sermon this morning. I mean, just a guy that loves Jesus. And he's a bivocational pastor now, actually, because he just left the church he was a part of to go plant a church with his brother, he sold his house just a few months ago so that he could buy a house in the neighborhood of which they're trying to plant this church. Like, this is a guy I look at and I say, man, I want my life to be like his. To me, he's, he's in the goat conversation among my friends. And that inspires us, doesn't it? 
Well, that's kind of what Paul's going to do in this passage where we get here. He's going to talk about two guys, a guy named Timothy and a guy named Epaphroditus. He's going to point out something about their life, the way that they live selfless, to aim to inspire us to do the same. Again, if you wanted to kind of recap the the Philippians 2, because we're finishing up here, you've got this command to live selfless life, consider others' interest above your own. And then we learn that the gospel is what motivates us to do it. Faith is what enables us to do it. You should go back and listen to those two podcasts, by the way. And now we're going to see that people are who inspire us to do it. Let's pray one more time. Father, we do ask that you would speak to us and use both the inspiration of the person that you, or even people that you you do to our heart, and these two guys that we're going to get to see Paul brag about. Inspire us today by these examples, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's look at Philippians 2, 19 through 21. Um, Here's what Paul says about Timothy. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who shows such genuine concern for your welfare, for everyone looks to his own interest and not the interest of Jesus Christ. It's worth noting, if if you weren't with us the last few weeks, just to be reminded of the context that Paul's in prison and in Rome, and he's writing this Philippian church, and they've had this longstanding relationship with him. He has a lot of affection for them, and he says, I want to come see you, but I'm not sure if I'm going to get out of prison. In fact, he said in chapter 1, I might actually just die here. So I don't know what's going to happen, but what I can do, he's saying, I can send Timothy, and that's what I want to do, because I want him to go be with you so he can come back and bring a report to me, so I'll be cheered to receive the news about how you're doing in your faith. And here we find this great phrase. I love it. He says, I have no one else like him. When he thinks of Timothy, he's saying, I looked at the Greek, and the Greek actually says that this guy's the goat. No, it doesn't really say that, but for the, sake of, for the sake of the sermon, it says he's the goat. But he says, I have no one like him. Like there's no one else that, that, that is like him that I could send to you. And what are the two things that he draws out? He says, the reason I have no one like him is because he genuinely cares for your welfare. And he says, comparing to other people, most people are just concerned about their own interests, but not those of Jesus. But here's a guy who has Jesus' interests first, others' interests second, his own interests third. He's got things in the right order. And Paul says, this is why this guy's the goat. This is why I have none like him. This is what it means to be great. Everyone else looks out for his own interests, right? We have to admit that that's like our default setting. And what's particular here, we don't know exactly how. Maybe, you know, Paul did some uh, equivalent of that day email (laughs) sent out to all the possible people that could go and no one answered the call or no one returned the, the quote email. We don't know exactly what he did, but he, he got word out, and Timothy was likely the only one who responded. In fact, we learn a little bit more about, if you go back to chapter 1, we won't look there together, but if you go back into chapter 1, one of the things that Paul said was there was actually people who were Christians, actually those that were actually proclaiming the message of Christ, and Paul said that he was glad that they were doing so, but he said that they were doing so out of selfish ambition, envy, and rivalry. So we know that there's already these people, even Christian leaders, that are ministering out of selfish ambition, out of envy, out of rivalry. And Paul's likely comparing all of them to Timothy to say, this is the guy I want to send because these other guys, their hearts aren't right. Have you all ever witnessed that before? I know particularly in my years of campus ministry at UT, I would see lots of uh, different campus ministries come and go. And often I'd see like a new one get started. And I could tell from the start that the person that was starting it was selfish ambition was motivating it. They wanted to make something great, and they actually didn't even care about the other ministries, and they wanted to take things from other people. They were operating, like we read in chapter 1, out of envy and rivalry. I'd see students that would 
step into leadership positions with a ministry, and I could tell that there was something about their heart, that their heart was actually kind of in it for themselves, and like the stature or the place that it would put in them. And we see this often, even among Christians, even among ministers who do things out of selfish ambition. I know there's some of you here who maybe aren't yet following Jesus, and I would bet that if you're not, maybe part of your story is that you've looked upon the church or you've seen Christians acting in a way with envy and rivalry, and, and that has caused some of your unwillingness to believe. And if that's your case, I would just say that I grieve with you for that too. And I know that Jesus grieves with you on that too because he actually had to interrupt a conversation with his disciples who were arguing amongst themselves about which of them was the greatest. Can you believe that? What's really wild is it actually happens on the night that he shares the communion that we'll take here. He's, he's sharing his last meal with these disciples. And then there's a side conversation going on amongst them about which of them is the greatest. Can you believe that? Even among his top leaders, when Jesus hears the conversation, he interrupts them and says this to them. Rather, let the greatest among you become the youngest, and the leader is one who serves. For who is greater, one who reclines at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at the table? But I am among you as one who serves. Jesus is saying to himself, like, I'm the goat. I'm, I'm the one that deserves to be the greatest. But even me, I've come to serve. And he's telling his disciples, like, the way that you become the greatest is to become the least is to become the servant of everyone else. So however the invitation went out, whether Paul mass publicized it and gave everyone an opportunity, either way, he pointed to Timothy, and Timothy was the one that stepped up and said, I'm willing to do it. I'll go make this journey because I care about them and I care about the cause of Jesus. I'm cheating a little bit here because I feel like I want to talk about someone that's also in my goat conversation. It's my good friend, uh, Doug, Doug and Margaret Beck. Uh, Doug was really my best friend. We were college roommates my freshman year um, and for several years in college. We actually became much closer after college when we were both single. We spent a ton of time together, played in a band, and were part of the same church, softball team. Uh, during that period of time, we honestly saw each other through a lot of tough times with, with breakups, uh, with unemployment, with death of parents. And this is another one of those guys that does this, this retreat that we do every year. This is Doug and Margaret. And uh, Doug was actually an art major at UT. Uh, in other words, he was a pre-unemployment major. And so, so he always struggled finding a job, right? Sorry, art, art majors. So he, he always struggled finding a job. And uh, I got to see him go through periods of unemployment, but he was so committed that he, he wanted to work in an animation business, was a really gifted artist. And he finally got his foot in the door, got hired on with a company, and then he got, grew to be super successful and was a third in charge of this giant animation company here in Austin after years of unemployment, underemployment. Margaret's story was uh, that she uh, worked with Crew High School, so the uh, Campus Crusade, uh, their high school ministry for years before she decided to change her uh, degree and went to school uh, professional counseling, got, got a counseling degree, came back, moved back to Austin. They actually knew each other in college, but they didn't start dating until they were in their 30s when they got back to Austin. She started a practice and had a super successful practice and started having tons and tons of clients. And at the height of both of their career success, they just felt God pulling on their heart that they were supposed to go live as missionaries somewhere. And within months, they made a decision to sell everything they had. They just bought a house. They sold their house. They sold everything they had. And they started raising money. And they moved the D Dominican Republic. I look at Doug and Margaret, and I think, for me, they're, they're some of the goats. They, they inspire me to want to obey God with the same kind of abandon that they have. That's what God does. God uses people 
to inspire us. And so he's pointing to the Philippians here and reminding them of Timothy and inspiring them to be like Timothy. We all need examples like this in our lives. And we find out here in this next few verses that Timothy actually had his own example, and his example was Paul. In verse 22, you read this, but you know that Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father, he served with me in the work of the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him to you soon, as soon as I see how things go with me. I'm confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. I love that simple phrase right there, that Timothy proved himself. You know what that means? That means this took time. Like, like Timothy didn't just wake up and become like a selfless person. Would, would y'all be all in if I could just pray a prayer and magically we'd all become selfless? That would be awesome, right? Pray a prayer and bam, we're, we're all selfless people. We love Jesus more and we love others than we love ourselves less. But that's not the way it works. What happens is we need to be around people and then we begin to learn how to be selfless. We need role models. We need people in our lives. And this is what Paul meant when he said he proved himself. What he means is Timothy joined me in my second missionary journey and I've been pouring into his life and he's proved himself because he's learned to be selfless because I've seen it, because he spent time with me. In fact, if you were to go back, we actually started this whole Philippians series by looking at Acts chapter 16, which is the, the part in the book of Acts that actually describes how this Philippian church got started. In Acts chapter 16, we see that Paul's starting his second missionary journey, and he goes to a town called Lystra. And in Lystra, he finds that there's this guy named Timothy. He hears about his reputation, that he was a believer. And we know, if you go back and read First and Second Timothy, we know that he had a, a Christian grandmother and a Christian mother who was married to a, a Greek guy that likely wasn't a believer. And so we learn that he's kind of got this history of faith, and Paul meets him as a young believer and says, hey, do you want to join me on this journey? And so Paul picks him up in Lystra, and then the whole rest of the second missionary journey, Timothy is alongside. In fact, Timothy was there in Philippi when the church started. Remember, if you remember in Philippi, there were these radical conversions that started this new church, and Timothy saw that. He was walking with Paul. When Paul and Silas were put in prison in Philippi, Timothy was there. He witnessed it. He witnessed them getting beat and getting dragged to jail. Where do you think Timothy proved himself? How did he prove himself to be selfless? He, he had someone in his life that was more spiritually mature than him that he was walking beside and he learned to live selflessly by watching and by being under the leadership of a guy like Paul. I love too that he continued this relationship with him because you can see throughout the rest of the book of Acts when Timothy's running with him, but then you get these letters of First and Second Timothy. Again, Paul was in jail, but this time he's writing letters directly to Timothy, whom he actually appointed to be the pastor of the largest church at that time, the church in Ephesus. And his last few letters he's writing to Timothy. In Second Timothy, his last letter to him, he writes this very powerful description of what their lives looked like together. In Second Timothy 2.2, says this, you then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that's in Christ Jesus and what you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust of faithful men who will be able to teach others also. What you've learned from me and trust to others, he's still talking to him as a child saying, hey, I'm still pouring into your life. Now, the things that I've poured into you, I want you to pour into others who can pour into others who can pour into others. If, if you've been around uh, the church very long, you've probably seen this verse. It's kind of one of the key verses on discipleship. So you know the question then that, that most people ask, right? You say, how many generations do you see here? You see four generations. It's Paul pouring into Timothy, telling him to pour into others who can then pour into others. It's such an important verse on discipleship, and he's, he's inspiring him to let his life make a difference in the lives of others. That the same way that I've modeled this and you've grown selfless by watching me, now do it in the lives of others. 
This is why it's so important that, that we really believe this. You, you guys hopefully hear us say this all the time at Midtown, that Midtown, a church is so much more than a Sunday morning. Like, we're glad you're here this morning. Uh, we do believe that God uses this service to motivate us and change us and inspire us in our faith. But we believe church is so much more than just a gathering on a Sunday morning because true discipleship and true life change doesn't take place by coming to a meeting. Real life change takes place by being in relationships with people and walking through life with them and being around people who are more spiritually mature than you so that you can grow and learn from them. This is the whole reason, I'm not gonna go into our whole ministry philosophy here, but this is the whole reason why we're so important, we think it's so important to be part of a Midtown community and even more important perhaps to be part of a huddle because our Midtown communities, those are groups that meet in houses, they're mixed gender, groups about 10 to 20. Uh, Those are really primarily for community, though discipleship does take place in that context because you're sharing your lives with one another. But where you really get discipleship is when you get into a huddle Two or three people, same gender, where your whole aim is to help each other grow in your faith and to have this selfless conversation all the time when you meet. How are you growing and loving your wife? How are you growing and loving your kids? How are you growing and caring for your coworkers? How are you living a selfless life? We actually have our huddle leaders meeting uh, tonight. And one of the things that we always remind our huddle leaders is we're trying to develop, it's kind of a weird term, but we call it gospel-saturated disciple makers. Like that's what we're aiming to do through our huddles. And what we say is there's four things that we want all of our huddles to be growing in. It's becoming a worshiper and a servant, a witness and a disciple maker. The first two fit with a great command, love God and love people. We wanna see our people growing as worshipers, that they've learned to love God with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength. But then that they become servants. They learn to love others as themselves. And then not only that, they'd be growing as disciple makers and witnesses as go fall in line with a great uh, commission. I say all that to tell you one of the things that we do in our huddles, one of the things we're trying to grow in as servants. Like that's one of the four things that we're always having conversations about within our huddles. And so I'd encourage you, if you're not in a huddle or even if you're not part of a midtown community, to do so, to get involved because life change and spiritual formation takes place in the context of life on life with other believers to whom you can look to, to model selflessness. That's how we grow. So Paul tells Timothy, or tells the Philippians, I'm about to send you one of my goats, one of my greatest of all time. But what he's actually gonna say in this next part is he's gonna point out another guy, and this was actually one of the Philippians' goats. (laughs) They actually sent one of their very best to come minister to Paul. Here's what it says now about Epaphroditus. But I think it necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, coworker, fellow soldier, who's also a messenger whom you sent to take care of my needs. He longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and almost died. But God had mercy on him, but not not only on him, but also on me to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I'm all the more eager uh, to send him so that when you see him, you may be glad and have less anxiety. So then, welcome him in the Lord with great joy and honor people like him because he almost died for the work of Christ. He risked his life to make up for the help that you could not give. Helps to get just a little bit of context here again. To remember um, <clears throat> that he was speaking in uh, chapter one that Paul had this long-standing relationship with them, right? And we see that actually one of the things he'll, he'll mention when we get to chapter four, you'll see this, that when Paul left Philippi with Timothy and his other disciples that were going with him, he says that the Philippian church actually continued to send money to them. Like, this is an awesome church that they continue to fund his work. And so they've had this longstanding relationship, and now they were actually sending Epaphroditus with a financial gift, but not just a financial gift. He was there to minister to Paul and to care for his needs. 
We'd have to go to chapter 4 to see this, so we'll kind of fast forward real quick to chapter 4, where it says that he came and gave them financial support. It says, um, we have the chapter 4 verse up there, 418. It says, I've received full payment and have more than enough now that I'm amply supplied from the gift that that you've received from Epaphroditus. So part of the thing that he did is he actually delivered a financial gift, that there was something that need that Paul had, but it it is beyond that. He wasn't just coming with a gift and that was it. Because then you get to this passage and it says, the words translated here, care for my needs. He says, you sent Epaphroditus to care for my needs. And this time I'm not joking about the Greek, but the Greek actually here really translated to serve as a priest, to care for his needs. So he wasn't just coming with a spiritual gift of money He was coming to care for Paul's spiritual needs, to care for him emotionally, spiritually, to be there for Paul while he was in prison. He was sent as a minister, and he was sent selflessly. We learn a little bit more about how selfless it was when you know that this was at least a 700-mile journey, at least 700 miles. I was researching it this week, and some say it could be even up to 2,000 miles, depending on what time of the year went and what kind of transportation, if it was all by foot or if it was by animal. There's part of it that had to be by boat. This was a long trip. It took months for Epaphroditus to get there, selflessly giving himself to Paul to care for him, to be his priest. But then we learn, too, that this trip had some uh, setbacks, right? It says Epaphroditus actually got ill, almost to the point of death, and it caused anxiety within the Philippians who heard about it. It caused sorrow upon Paul. He said, it saved me from sorrow. And it caused Epaphroditus himself, it says it caused him distress. So even in the midst of him serving, things don't go so well. And one of the things I love about this, really, really love that, that, that Paul would write and include this detail in here, is it helps me realize that sometimes when we act and we serve and we take a step of faith and we go out to serve, it doesn't necessarily mean that things are going to go well, right? Like you could take a step of faith and choose to serve or, or volunteer in an organization or serve your wife or do something that you know is being selfless and considering others' interests first, but it doesn't mean that it's going to go well necessarily. I love that that tidbit there that we get from this because sometimes you might come up against a true spiritual attack when you're doing it. Maybe it's not a spiritual attack and it's just something more natural and you've got like circumstantial things change. Maybe you're going to get sick. Maybe the person that you're actually trying to serve doesn't receive it. But I love that what he says here about Epaphroditus is honor men like him. What that tells me too is that Paul doesn't say you become the goat by having ministry success. You actually become the goat by the way of your heart. It doesn't matter what success you have. It matters what your motive and what your heart is and what you're doing. Notice, too, in both, both examples, T- Timothy and Epaphroditus, he's not pointing to any success that they've had, right? When he's saying and propping them up as the examples, he's not pointing to anything that they've done. In fact, the only thing that he's pointing to that they've done looks like a failure. Like Epaphroditus has to go sent home early because he didn't make it. He got sick, so he's having to go back. It looks like a failure, but, but Paul says, this is the guy you should try to be like because he cares about others first. And I love that because one of the things that God, one of the things I heard when I was younger, and I really love it, is that God cares more about our uh, availability than he does our ability. He's not pointing to anything and propping these guys up based on any of their abilities or talents. He's propping them up solely based on their availability. That Epaphroditus would go, that Timothy would go, so I'll just ask, like, are you available? Are you available to take a step of service and to, to follow someone else, to put yourself in a discipleship relationship so that you can grow to become more selfless? Are you available? 
for application, there's something that I'd like you to believe, something I'd like you to know, and something that I'd like you to do. For believe, I really want you just to get this in your heart and really believe that to become the greatest, you have to become the least. Like, we have to believe that. And I want you to know and have a conviction that, that the way that you grow and that's spiritually formed is by having models, that you actually need others in your lives to help model this. You can't figure this out on your own. You should pursue someone that's a step further along spiritually than you that you can grow and learn from them. And as to do, what I really want you to do is to take a step of selflessness by finding a place, a person, or a group to serve on a regular basis and to put yourself into a discipleship relationship that you can learn to live selflessly and be inspired by the lives of someone else. Can you imagine what it would look like? I mean, we're a pretty small church, but if we had everyone even sitting here today, what if we were all connected in some way in the city serving? What if we had something in our lives where we're outwardly giving ourselves to others selflessly? Imagine the impact that we would make in the city. Imagine the reputation that it would give, not just for our church, but the reputation it would give for God himself. That here's these people that love Jesus and look at the way they're serving. So whether it's a particular people like homelessness or refugees or fostering, uh, serving with uh, cleaning parks, Austin Disaster Relief Network, disabled people or a widow that you find in your neighborhood, just take a tangible step to serve people on a regular basis. Imagine what that would look like and the difference that we could make. But what what I want you to imagine even more, what I really want you to imagine is what if we were having this conversation a year from now and I asked the question that I asked at the start, who's like a goat? Or who would be someone that you look at and you think, this person really lives a life like Jesus? What if a year from now, someone's answer was you? For many of us, I'm sure someone's answer was one of us here. Imagine that. Imagine if in your life you could have the fourth generation of people following after you, that you've inspired other people to live selflessly, who've inspired others, who've inspired others, who've inspired a fourth generation back. That's what it looks like to be the goat. And I I want that for all of our lives, that all of us would be that type of person that would come to mind if we were to ask the same question, even a year from now. Now, I kind of joked with the title just to kind of make it catchy by calling it a goat, (laughs) you know. We're not really trying to become the greatest. Remember, Jesus told his disciples not to think that way because he's the greatest. And so while we we are inspired by other people, I believe that God's ordained it that that way, that we can be inspired by people. We need not look just to people because people are always going to fail us, right? Even the person that you came to mind, they've got flaws. And so when we ultimately come to look to a person, we look to the person of Jesus. He's the goat. He's the greatest. And he's the one that we can focus all of our attention on and learn from the most, which is why we're going to end in communion. The reason we do this every week is it gives us a chance to do just that, focus our eyes on him and recognize that he's the one that can change us and give us the power to live selflessly. If we go back to that conversation he had with the disciples, remember it was on the night that he actually shared this meal with them. Remember he said this, rather the greatest among you has become the youngest, must become the youngest and the leader is one who serves for greater for, for who is greater, the one who reclines at the table or the one who serves? It's not the one who reclines at the table. Is it not the one who reclines at the table? But I'm among you as one who serves. Jesus says, like, I'm the greatest, and look what I'm doing. I'm serving. Follow me. Become a servant. And the way that he ultimately served, he served in so many ways, but the perfect way that he served was by giving his life. 
In fact, in Mark chapter 10, he would actually phrase it this way in a very similar conversation that he had with his disciples. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. This is the God that we serve, the God that served us, the God that was the greatest, but has become the least. And so as we take communion, let's look to him as much as we look to others for their inspiration. Let's recognize that we need him and we look to him, the one who served us by giving his life for us. Anyone's open to take communion? We practice open communion so you can take communion with us. Um, That is, unless you haven't really yet put your faith in Jesus, we really ask that if you've not done so, that you would refrain and wait for a time that that you would say yes. And maybe the communion here on a Sunday could be the place where you, for the first time, put your faith in Him. Also, during uh, this time of communion, we'll have some songs of worship. Uh, Greg and Kristen Tolander are going to be back at the back. We have people at the back that are willing to pray for you. Anything related to something that you heard today or just anything going on in your life, they would love to minister to you just by praying for you. Let me pray, and let's enter to a time of worship. God, we thank you for being the one that serves. We are inspired by people that you've put in our life, and we just take a minute to say thanks. Thanks for the people you have put in our lives that have caused us to want to live more selflessly and put your needs and others' needs above our own. Pray, Lord, even as a church, that we would grow in our discipleship, that we would help each other walk this out in our huddles and all of our other relationships with one another. Today we actually come in this time of worship and look to you because we know that even as much as we're inspired by others, others will let us down, but you never do. You're the perfect one who's come to serve. And so as we take communion, uh, move in our hearts, move in our hearts to worship you. And even as we take it to be changed by you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Midtown Church Sermon Podcast. We hope this ministry has blessed you. If you would like to support this ministry, you can donate at midtownaustin.org.